and welcome to Risk Chats with a Firm. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today on the podcast, we revisit with USAID, speak with Marcus Howard, and we're going to talk about how they uh, have operationalized their uh, risk appetite statement, as well as uh, integration with internal controls and uh, some of the other things Marcus is doing over there. So I hope you guys will enjoy this one. Let's talk to Marcus. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today I'm happy to have with us here Marcus Howard from USAID. Marcus, how are you doing? All right, Paul. How are you? Doing good, doing good, and uh, very happy to have uh, USAID back on the podcast. I know we talked with you guys uh, a a while ago at this point about risk appetite, and uh, I guess we're kind of revisiting some of that subject and going in a little deeper, but uh, yeah, thanks for joining us today. Um, Why don't we start off, Marcus, if you could just give us a little bit of background about yourself, you know, what what do you do over there at USAID? Yes, uh, so a little bit of background traditionally started my uh, career as a financial statement auditor, uh, helping a multitude of clients uh, in the federal space. Uh, mid-career uh, transition from auditor to uh, help uh, the DOD sector and also civilian agencies, you know, become audit ready. Uh, from that, you just learn a lot of best practices, um, more uh, cost-beneficial approaches to implement internal controls, uh, strengthen areas, and also help you know, remediate uh, long-standing systemic internal control, significant efficiencies or material weaknesses. Um, and then, you know, help large agencies such as DHS uh, receive clean opinions uh, for the first time and also sustain those opinions. Uh, so kind of fast, fast forward to the present time, I uh, landed uh, with USAID um, for the last uh, eight months now. Uh, so I'm my role here. I'm the division director for Enterprise Risk Management Term Controls under the Office of Financial uh, Chief Financial Officer. Okay, very good. Well, we'll get into uh, some of the internal control stuff as well in a minute, but why don't we start off with, um, I think we wanted to talk a bit, a little bit more about risk appetite, you know, kind of how how have you guys operationalized, you know, your, your, your program as far as the risk appetite goals and, and statements that you put out there? Yeah, great question. Uh, this is this this uh, the concept of risk appetite. Uh, you know, it's fairly new uh, to the to the federal government, also USA. Uh, so one of the approaches we um, we undertook at uh, the agency was to uh, provide a risk appetite statement um, to you know pretty much provide some guidance. You know, uh, some sort of a measure stick um, in various uh, you know sectors throughout the agency to look at. Um, things holistically, um, not just from a financial perspective, but looking at things from a legal perspective, operational perspective, reputational perspective, um, down to program level as well. Uh, so one of the things that we, we did was to, you know, um, receive feedback, you know, from the programs, but also to, uh, you know, target strategic marketing, how to re-operationalize this, um, the risk appetite down to the program level. Uh, with the understanding of the program's uh, defined objectives. Uh, so then allowing the, the, the program to determine, uh, based on those objectives, um, understanding uh, risks, threats, but also opportunities to then further determine their risk appetite and or risk tolerances, to accept certain risks, but also to then drive decision-making on developing appropriate risk uh, mitigation plans 
uh, integrating internal controls and then to effectively continuously monitor those plans. Uh, so in, in, in all that helped, you know, better operationalize, you know, the risk out of site statement that we have today. So is that something that you actively work with the program offices to kind of help them out or how do you get feedback, you know, from them as far as how's it going? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we, we develop uh, somewhat of an ERM core team, uh, more of a working group, uh, you know, structure to, you know, open up the lines of communication to get that, that feedback. So it could vary from, uh, you know, program consultation uh, with my team and also uh, colleagues um, at the headquarters level of the, of the agency uh, to provide that feedback on their specific scenario and how to best um, the risk appetite uh, statement and also the, just the governing principles uh, to their program. And then so then we would, uh, you know, basically just communicate their scenario, um, how to, you know, document with a level of precision, uh, what to consider, what's the criteria to develop, uh, to then drive their understanding of, of the objectives that they're trying to achieve and then set the context and then how to best identify those risks. Um, with understanding of, of how those risk indicators, uh, once developed, will then drive the decision making and understanding and weighing the balance between acceptance uh, of certain risks, but also weighing the, the opportunity to gain. Uh, with USA's mission, uh, we're in a uh, position to where, as we provide uh, humanitarian aid or, you know, whether in, um, you know, funding or um, goods or services, uh, we provide. Uh, you know, uh, an opportunity for developing countries to, um, you know, to be, become self-reliant. So a term that we use and in, in that opportunity that we try to seek um, based on our overall mission judgment, which is a journey to self-reliance, uh, we provide to those countries, those other countries, is to um, identify areas of capacity building. Um, so that translates into potential opportunities. So we accept certain risks inherently to our mission um, that should ideally uh, have a return on investment. Um, so then in, in documenting that information that provides us uh, this point of decision-making opportunities to invest in that developing country's needs. Right, and I'm guessing to some extent when you guys did the appetite statement, it was it was kind of just documenting what the risk culture that already existed there. So like you said, you know, you will take some risk for these for these programs to be successful. Um, but, mm-hmm. I'm, but I'm also curious, have you seen other um, – effects maybe on how programs do budgeting or things like that you know maybe how, how has that been affected by the risk appetite that's kind of been put out there yeah so with with anything you know budget uh you know resource budgetary resources human capital is always um a factor um you know could be a, a performance indicator or it could be a risk indicator in the, in the nature it may become a barrier or um, something to you know to overcome a challenge uh, so if you look, you know, look at you know just the time and um, and then of course the, the amount of uh, budgetary resources um, that's provided. Uh, so we take that into consideration as well too. To um, how you know how quickly or how efficiently can we get closer to achieving those objectives as well too? So it's, that drives a lot of decision making as well too on um, the appropriate level of risk that we're willing to take. Uh, case in point is. Uh, our current, you know, um, pandemic situation um, that's affected, um, you know, uh, has, has an global effect, um, you know, presenting itself as, a, you know, opportunities for the agency to um, ideally 
uh, you know, look at things in a different manner. Um, so then we um, look for ways for efficiencies um, in our current processes uh, to provide a little bit more flexibility. Um, and doing that, it translates into potentially, you know, accepting, you know, additional oversight to give uh, humanitarian aid to those developing countries to address, um, you know, life or death situations or social pandemic. Uh, so all that, you know, um, is, is a factor in our operationalizing of the risk appetite team. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and that's good that it sounds like you guys are flexible and kind of, you kind of have to adapt to the environment, of course. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, something a little uh, kind of tangential to this, but I was curious, you know, what do you guys do as far as, um, you know, like some tools to help you out with your ERM program, you know, to kind of track, uh, you know, how, how the progress you're making or the, the risks and the, the, the mitigation and that's happening, you know, what uh, have you guys explored any kind of, uh, you know, any kind of tools? Yes. Great question. Uh, so one of the things that we're in the process of doing is exploring uh, uh, what we kind of refer to informally as a ERM tool, um, better known as a uh, governance uh, reporting and compliance tool, uh, which is in the form of a, a license application, you know, we're looking at that um, options and vendors to see if uh, there are technologies that would basically allow us to um, capture data, you know, holistically across agencies on uh, various risk descriptions, uh, set various tolerances, um, create workflows as well, um, and also uh, helping identify um opportunities, uh, you know, from those risks, um, and then create, you know, just a, a, a various um, onslaught of, of dashboards that we can um, use and then track and then tailor to our, our needs, our uh, programmatic needs as well. Um, and also one of the things that we're, we're looking at is how to, uh, you know, create feedback loops, such as how do we integrate uh, internal controls to provide a feedback loop as well, and then try to automate you know, a lot of our existing uh, business processes that may be heavy depending on um, use of Excel spreadsheets and things of that nature. Uh, so that's definitely one of those things that we are exploring now as a part of our overall uh, ERM, ERM uh, maturity model planning. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming just like other agencies, you find that once you get to a certain maturity level, you kind of got to get to something a little bit more, you know, robust than just a spreadsheet or a email. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, Absolutely, yeah. That's, that's just, that's just you know, identifying cost savings and, and, and you know, just enabling the agency um, from the staff to the management to the senior levels, senior uh, leadership levels to make, you know, um, more um, timely and informed decisions um, and then to be proactive. So then, you know, using uh, such tools uh, that may be out there in the marketplace allows us to then uh, become a little bit more savvy you know, with ERM and risk management to then do some scenario uh, planning more that predictive analysis. So as we gather, you know, data to help drive some of the decision-making, uh, I think those tools will help us, um, you know, uh, to implement some of those uh, those best practices that we see in the private sector. Yeah. Have you guys already started playing with some dashboard ideas with your existing uh, software or what, what, what are you guys thinking as far as that goes? Yeah, so we're we're still in the the early discovery stage uh, with Framing. Um, so um, to to you know continue to perform market research on what what uh, technology will provide us the the biggest bang for the buck, um, so to speak. And then from a business process level, 
uh, what we're doing is, um, you know, tightening things up, for lack of a better word, but uh, getting organized on um, how our uh, ERM process flows work, um, what are the, you know, the key data descriptions that we need to, you know, lock down, uh, simple things like taxonomy, um, understanding the sources of uh, risk uh, management uh, data as well, and then how to best integrate that if we were to then deploy a uh, application of some sort. Uh, to create a, you know, an efficient, effective workflow. Um, and then understanding, um, you know, from our our users and customers, you know, within the agency, understanding what would be most beneficial for them to see, you know, at different levels as well. Right. Well, and you mentioned data, obviously. So, you know, a lot, mm-hmm. of, a lot of podcasts, you know, we've, we've been kind of talking about this. Um, you know, a lot of agencies, I feel, are starting to really dig into they want to gather some data that make, you know, make decisions here for their ERM programs. Um, you know, what, what are your guys, what are you guys thinking as far as data analytics, either things that are you're doing or things that you would like to do to, to better utilize data, to analyze data, to really kind of tie your goals or your strategies to what's actually happening out there? Yeah, no, great question. Um, and that, and that's, you know, that definitely ranges in a, in a wide scope. Um, but really, you know, just identifying, um, I think from the strategic planning stage, understanding, you know, when objectives are being set, uh, performance measures are being developed uh, to marry up that same strategic planning with risk uh, indicators as well um, that may may be inherent to um, the mission overall, but down to the programmatic level as well, um, and then help uh, identify what data would then validate you know, um, those risk indicators, um, what to do, how to react to that, what additional information may be needed to inform uh, those risk indicators, but also um, feeding into the the higher probability of achieving those performance measures as well. Um, so using that as a framework to really drive, you know, just the data need versus just, you know, just having a, um, you know, kind of a just, you know, uh, ad hoc you know, a structure of just, hey, let's just pull data out of the sky from any and anywhere, but really not knowing how it ties back to the strategic objectives. Um, so we're, you know, taking that, um, we will be taking that, that uh, structured approach. Uh, then from there, um, understanding the descriptors of that data, of course, the sources, um, looking at our, um, our existing uh, enterprise-wide systems that we rely on, such as our accounting systems, procurement systems, uh, cyber systems, and so forth. Um, and then looking at uh, how that feeds into, again, those strategic objectives um, at the program level and how that should then marry up to inform, um, you know, effective risk mitigation strategies, um, risk treatment, and then how to also target our internal control system as well. Um, one of the elements of the data that we'll leverage as well, too, um, of course, we'll uh, leverage the reports from existing auditors, uh, such as OIG and GAO, Use those um, those mechanisms um, from an advisor advisory standpoint uh, to inform uh, lessons learned as well as a part of our data source. Right. Yeah. So, have you uh, already found that you know in, in looking at some IG or other kind of reports that you guys already use that to reevaluate maybe your strategy or how you want to do certain things? Absolutely. Uh, so, one of the things we've we've, we've done um, just from a start is to you know, integrate the our OIG within our um, existing ERM governance structure. 
um, from a collateral collegial perspective. Uh, so often we may have the IG, you know, brief us on various advisory reports, um, things such as top management challenges that they see that may, um, you know, create barriers or challenges from achieving objectives and just having those, um, you know, frequent consultations on uh, what they're saying, you know, overseeing our missions um, to then, uh, you know, to form of our remediation actions and to ensure once we do and undertake those uh, appropriate remediation actions that uh, what we do put in place is sustainable. Right. Absolutely. Um, well, let's also talk about since, you know, you also, uh, you know, uh, run some of the internal control work over there as well. How does that, mm-hmm. um, how do you kind of integrate that into your overall program? Yeah, great question. Uh, so one of the things that we do is, you know, understanding the inherent risks, uh, you know, the agency of our mission, um, but also down to the uh, program level and, you know, even a deeper dive at the business process levels that, support the programs and the, and the operations overall. Uh, so we use that that approach to um, perform uh, targeted risk assessments, um, considering fraud as well, and those risk assessments to then inform, okay, what are the, the risks that are inherent, you know, across the agency to then really allow us to focus on, you know, key controls, you know, at the end of the day. So we're just not you know, overanalyzing certain things. We have uh, you know, this logical methodology and the structure into performing those risk assessments uh, to then inform our internal control assessments. And then once we identify those key controls, then we, of course, we assess those um, on a periodic basis across the agency, um, use the results of those assessments to inform management on areas of improvement or, you know, good news stories as well to, to provide, you know, assurance, obviously. And then um, provide feedback on whether um, the risk appetite, you know, is, is being maintained as established, uh, leveraging those controls. However, in certain uh, cases where uh, the results of our assessments identify the, you know, internal control deficiencies, that provides also a feedback loop to um, inform management of additional uh, risk mitigation steps that may be needed, um, and how fast. Um, um, you know, and, and management should, you know, take action as well, considering the uh, the various levels of severity of internal control deficiency we may define. I could probably rephrase that one. <laughs> no, and that's okay. Well, so yeah. let me ask you this. I mean, because uh, I know, a lot, you know back from the beginning, and a lot of agencies have some, some think that it's good to have ERM and internal controls kind of part of the same uh, program, and some like to keep it separate. I don't know. What is your uh, opinion on that? Do you have a feeling either way? Yeah, my my professional opinion with that is uh, I don't think it it should be separate. Um, you know, understanding the the language of the expanded uh, OMB Circular A123, um, I think the heart of ERM is to you know to break down the silos. So that's been uh, the USAID way, uh, so to speak. So in doing that, you know, in practice, you know, it's like what does that mean, right? You don't um, have a separate ERM program and not uh, allow internal controls to inform um, your ERM uh, decision-making practices. Uh, so, you know, looking at internal controls, you know, could be framed as, again, as you're developing that uh, strategic plan, as it cascades down to the program level, um, you should rely on your internal control system to, you know, um, mitigate majority of those risks at various levels. Um, and which, you know, we take into account 
you know, the GAO Green Book, um, starting from any level controls down to the business process level and, and everything in between from managing service providers and so forth. So with that, you know, looking at internal controls that there are potential uh, risk indicators, um, you know, it could give you an indication that you have everything is going well um, based on the results of your assessments or everything is not going so well and you should take action um, in doing that. So I think, you know, our approach again is, is to have, you know, really integrated ERM program with internal controls being a key component of the strength and effectiveness of that ERM program. Right. Yeah. And I think some of that early, uh, you know, feedback probably was because, you know, I guess folks might have thought it was an issue if, uh, you know, because internal control programs tended to be, just be at a CFO office concentrating on the financials and ERM mm-hmm. supposed to be, you know, much wider scope, of course, but it sounds like you know, agencies like yours, or you, you really are looking across the entire enterprise. You're not just focused on the financial statements, right? Absolutely. And as you mentioned earlier, and that's where our risk appetite statement really articulates that, you know, we're looking at, you know, and perspective, holistic perspective, not just the financial perspective, but all the upfront processes that, uh, you know, precede the, you know, financial reporting. Um, and then that allows us to really focus on root cause issues as well. You know, whether results from external auditors, but also our internal control assessments um, to really tackle things, again, holistically um, and not just, you know, focus on the Band-Aid fix or the what I call the, you know, the whack-a-mole approach of a, you know, one issue pops up that may uh, be identified, you know, from a series of, you know, so, you know, unbounds with treasury, you know, unreconciled items. But what is the root cause of that, you know? Um, are, you know, is the, the contracting officer community, you know, well-trained? Do they have resources? Um, are they enabled to, you know, manage their contracts? Is the ratio to contracts to personnel, you know, really effective or is it overburdened? Um, so it really, really allows us to do a deeper dive. Um, so when we do put, you know, um, remediation efforts to, you know, um, strengthen risk mitigation strategies, um, those strategies, once they're deployed, uh, we have confidence that they're sustainable and not just a band-aid fix. Good. Um, so kind of want to loop it back to the beginning a little bit. Um, we started off talking about risk appetite. You know, you guys put out your statement a while ago. Um, you know, some of the inputs that you've seen so far, you know, is that something that you guys are thinking about adjusting your risk appetite or how often would that happen and, and what would cause you to want to adjust maybe your risk risk appetite a little bit? Yeah, no great question. Uh, so one of the things, you know, we're, we're evaluating is, of course, the impact of the pandemic COVID-19 um, has on the agency's operations. Um, so then in response to, you know, a lot of our mission um, objectives to provide humanitarian, uh, especially, you know, when it comes to uh, global health. Uh, objectives and, and, and um, programs as well, too. You know, we want to get the aid to uh, developing countries as soon as possible. Uh, in those circumstances, we have to evaluate, um, are we willing to, you know, accept more risk in order to achieve those objectives? Um, but in doing so, understanding um, what is the health of our internal control system to do that? Uh, do we feel confident doing that to, you know, provide assurance that, uh, again, um, you know, the risk that may be identified won't uh, create a threat um, of, you know, objectives? And then we can um, have mechanisms in place to continuously monitor effectiveness of, 
they get into the, the proper recipient. Uh, so that's definitely one major, you know, area that has impact um, our evaluation of the risk appetite, um, but also just doing normal um, transformational efforts across the agency, um, constantly evaluating and balancing um, the levels of risk. Um, you know, if we take high or we do have a high uh, um, in a certain scenario, that we can, um, should be better to reduce greater risk. You know, look at those different scenarios. That's a where option. Um, so in some cases, like in COVID-19, some of the risk appetite could be on a, you know, kind of a near-term, short-term basis, and then we, you know, sort of speak, tighten the, the belt up again, um, understanding the objectives that need to be, you know, to be made in, in a timely manner. Uh, so those are some of the factors that we definitely consider um, as we, you know, adjust the risk appetite um, and then make it more of a, you know, kind of a, a living, uh, you know, practice and document, uh, again, using it as a guidance document to follow, you know, key disciplines and principles, um, but using it to our advantage, um, again, to achieve those objectives. So not just having something that kind of gets in stone that may be, you know, somewhat stale, um, but continuously having conversations with our agency leadership on how to best uh, deploy those, uh, those different risk appetites and tolerances that support those appetites. Right, yeah, and you made a really good point, actually. You know, you were saying, you know, if the agency's already got really good internal controls, then you can kind of, you know, maybe mm-hmm. in, in, in an emergency time, you can kind of loosen some things up, but you have some confidence that you have strong controls, you, you know, maybe strong systems or procedures to review things so that, mm-hmm. you know, you'll still catch stuff, or you can quickly take care of an issue if it comes up after the fact because you, you do have a strong internal control mm-hmm. core, right? Right, exactly. So exactly what the, the things that we do factor in that. And again, um, you know, different scenarios will vary. So that's where we really take a, you know, a deeper dive evaluation of, of various circumstances to adjust the risk appetite accordingly, understand the objectives we're trying to, you know, achieve uh, for sure. And then going back to the earlier uh, discussion point of, you know, using data to help make those decisions as well. Um, and that's where the importance of data analytics comes into play um, in the grand scheme of things. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. You have all these core mm-hmm. fundamental things are strong and you have good data, good you know way to analyze the data, then you can kind of take, mm-hmm. it, take advantage of more opportunities or however you want to think about it. That's good. Yeah, exactly. And adjust accordingly. Yeah, so we can, you know, um, be, you know, somewhat adaptive to changing scenarios. Um, again, such as with the COVID-19 and then, Example of how, um, you know, the impact of supply chain management, you know, um, as well, and impact our operations. So we, you know, look at things of that nature as well. How do we adjust uh, certain procurement decisions and so forth to put us in a better position? Great. Well, I just had one more question for you, um, a little more um, about the community in general, but uh, I understand mm-hmm. you're part of uh, some of the OMB working groups on ERM, and it was just curious, uh, you know, what you guys have been working on, anything uh, interesting to share with us as far as the work groups? Yeah, I think the the, the value of the working group has been great. Uh, we have uh, frequent uh, working discussions, uh, just brainstorming to sharing best practices, how to navigate. Um, through certain OIG audits or certain things, um, any barriers that certain agencies may be, you know, struggling with, or, you know, good news stories, like I mentioned, best practices. Uh, so one of the, one of the uh, key outputs uh, 
that have been beneficial recently has been uh, our discussion in conjunction with OMB as well, uh, developing an ERM maturity model. Uh, and it becomes from that taking some of those best practices uh, from our colleagues in the um, the office of the chief financial officer, you know, um, swim lane or business lane um, throughout the, the federal government and how they conduct and collaborate with the OIG um, to conduct the annual FISMA audits as well. Uh, so they use, uh, you know, following this standards and guidance and, and OIG metrics, you know, they use a maturity model scaling as well too. So kind of taking some of those best practices and applying it to um, the ERM approach as well has been, um, you know, I think will serve very well uh, for USA, but I think across the government um, holistically. Uh, so that's one of the, again, one of the, the, um, the valuable tools that we're, you know, working towards now to implement and then to operationalize, you know, throughout the agency. Now, is that, so that maturity model, I know I heard you guys are working on that. Is that something that's already done or, or if, if not, when do you think, uh, is that something that you would get out there, publish to the community? Yeah. So I think, uh, for the working group, and I think it's still going under review, um, and I think the the plan is to publish that uh, sometime this uh, fiscal year. Um, I saw some agencies have, uh, you know, leveraged some of the, the draft uh, language and information to determine uh, various models uh, and various um, attributes at various maturity levels, how to best score it and scale it. Uh, so what we've done at USAID is to leverage uh, just some of the basic principles of the model itself uh, articulate uh, the value of that to our senior leadership, uh, gain some sponsorship with doing so, and then really tailor it to our agency's operations and to how to, you know, make it intuitive. Um, so, so some of the mat- uh, maturity scaling um, and attribution, description of attributes, um, you know, just it's, it's intuitive. Uh, certain things from how do we integrate, um, you know, ERM with the budget execution process. How do we integrate? ER with supply chain management or cybersecurity. Uh, so certain, certain uh, maturity model levels, uh, we, we use that to then define those attributes to give us somewhat of an indication or a full card of, um, you know, areas that we want to continue to focus on, again, to mature, you know, our programs, our capabilities to you know, from a people process and technology perspective as well, too. So we can have a which um, and it allows us um, to provide Again, feedback to our leadership and where to best invest um, in those core competencies or capabilities that support those maturity models that in turn will then of the capability to our team, our overall mission objectives um, to develop our overseas as well, um, which in turn then, you know, um, allows us to then transfer that knowledge to uh, those developing countries that we're providing aid to um, to meet our, our overall objective with the journey of self-reliance. Yeah, and that's the whole point of ERM is to support the mission, right? So I think that's a yeah, good, exactly. yeah, a good point yeah. to go out on. So, uh, well, great, Marcus. I mean, thanks a lot. I really appreciate uh, you kind of taking some time to speak with our Affirm community here. And uh, thanks again. I hope you're doing all right during all this stuff. Yeah, you too. Likewise. I hope you, uh, you're doing well and your family's remaining safe. So, Definitely appreciate this opportunity. Uh, anytime, look forward to, uh, you know, continue conversations and contributing to, you know, the young community as a whole. Great. Thanks again. Great. Thank you. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. 
check us out affirm.org all our lovely podcasts are there we're trying to keep these coming any suggestions please let us know send us a little email there any topic you'd like to talk about and amazingly the summit is coming up not too long just a few months so time has definitely flown but uh you know this is a time of risk so definitely a lot of things to talk about so i think we'll have some more topics for you very soon and until next time this is your host paul marshall signing off for risk chats with a firm